0: Chapter 35 of Plum Pudding, of Divers Ingredients, Discreetly Blended and Seasoned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Plum Pudding, of Divers Ingredients, Discreetly Blended and Seasoned, by Christopher Morley. By the fireplace. We were contemplating our fireplace, in which some of the hearth bricks are rather irregularly disposed, and we said to ourselves, perhaps the bricklayer who built this noble fireplace worked like Ben Jonson, with the trowel in one hand and a copy of Horace in the other. That suggested to us that we had not read any Ben Jonson for a very long time, so we turned to every man in his humor and the alchemist. Part of johnson's notice to the reader preceding the alchemist struck us as equally valid as regards poetry to-day thou wert never more fair in the way to be cozened than in this age in poetry wherein antics to run away from nature and be afraid of her is the only point of art that tickles the spectators for they commend writers as they do fencers or wrestlers who if they come in robustly and put for it with a great deal of violence are received for the braver fellows i deny not but that these men who always seek to do more than enough may sometime happen on something that is good and great but very seldom i give thee this warning that there is a great difference between those that utter all they can however unfitly and those that use election and a mean for it is only the disease of the unskillful to think rude things greater than polished, or scattered more numerous than composed. Ben Jonson's perpetual allusions to tobacco always remind me of the odd circumstance, that of two such cronies, as he and Will Shakespeare, one should have mentioned tobacco continually, the other not at all. Undoubtedly Ben smoked a particularly foul old pipe, and was forever talking about it spouting his rank strangling cuban ebullition across the table and will probably rather nice in his personal habits grew disgusted with the habit at any rate shakespeare's silence on the subject has always been a grief to smokers at a time when we were interested in that famous and innocent way of wasting time trying to discover ciphers in shakespeare's sonnets we spent long cryptogrammarian evenings seeking to prove some anagram or rebus by which the bard could be supposed to have concealed a mention of tobacco but the only lurking secret we ever discovered seemed to suggest that the sonnets had been written by an ex-president of the united states observe the one hundred and thirty-first sonnet thou art as tyrannous so as thou art as those whose beauties proudly make them cruel for well thou knowst to my dear doting heart thou art the fairest and most precious jewel and evidently shakespeare intended to begin the fifty-first sonnet with the same acrostic but with elizabethan laxity misspelled mr taft's name as toft reading elizabethan literature always encourages one to proceed even though decorously with the use of the pun such screams of mirth as we doubt not greeted one of ben jonson's simpletons when he spoke of Roger Bacon as Rasher Bacon. We can hear them laughing, can't you? Are highly fortifying. But we began by quoting Ben Jonson on poetry. The passage sent us to the bookcase to look up the axioms about poetry stated by another who was also, in spirit at least, an habitué of the mermaid. In that famous letter from Keats to his publisher and friend John Taylor. February 27th. Eighteen eighteen, there is a fine fluent outburst on the subject all keats lovers know these axioms already but they cannot be quoted too often and we copy them down with additional pleasure because not long ago by the kindness of the two librarians who watch over one of the most marvellous private collections in the world mr j p morgan's we saw the original letter itself first i think poetry should surprise by a fine excess and not by singularity it should strike the reader as a warding of his own highest thoughts and appear almost a remembrance second its touches of beauty should never be halfway thereby making the reader breathless instead of content the rise the progress the setting of imagery should like the sun come natural to him shine over him and set soberly although in magnificence leaving him in the luxury of twilight but it is easier to think what poetry should be than to write it and this leads me to another axiom that if poetry comes not as naturally as the leaves to a tree it had better not come at all some people can always find things to complain about we have seen protests because the house in rome where keats died is used as a steamship office we think it is rather appropriate no man's mind ever sets sail upon wider oceans of imagination to paraphrase emily dickinson night after night his purple traffic strews the landing with opal bales merchantmen poise upon horizons dip and vanish with fairy sails another pleasing fact is that while he was a medical student keats lived in a bird-in-hand court cheapside best known nowadays as the home of simpsons that magnificent shop-house who else in modern time came so close to holding unruffled in his hand THE SHY WILD BIRD OF POETRY End of By the Fireplace